Uh, for those visiting with us this morning, we are uh, in a bit of a journey which uh, is coming to a, something of an end of a chapter of uh, this week. Uh, we're inviting our church to uh, consider what uh, their part to play is in terms of uh, giving sacrificially above and beyond our normal giving uh, to um, a building, whether it's a building in Tamatea or a building somewhere else. We are not sure. We're definitely in the context of a discerning time here. This is not going to go well. This is missing a screw here, but that's all right. A few screws loose is uh, probably part of the picture of Bay Vineyard. It's uh, good. Is it? Oh, yeah, that's all good. Anyway, it's all right. It's a bit bent as well. It's got a whole lot of things going on up here. Um, so if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I'm really sorry that you've come on a Sunday where this is the journey, the particular church you've chosen to visit is, is on. Um, but most of so the so one of the big things that we've really felt strongly as we've kind of taken this journey is this is as much, if not more, about our formation than it is about God's provision. And so God was wanting to, to form us so that we become more like him, we trust him, uh, and when we choose to become more like Jesus, you become more alive, more freedom, more joy. It's, every soul is wired to follow the way of Jesus, and when you start aligning your life with the way of Jesus, you find life. Uh, and so uh, most of what I'm going to talk about today is applicable for, for if you are visiting. Um, there's just a little bit at the end there that you can uh, glaze over with. But uh, unless the Lord has called you here for such a moment as this, where uh, you've been wondering what to do with that spare million bucks, in which case we're just uh, we're really grateful you're here and may the Lord uh, really move your heart and wallet. Um, so the, I want to dive in this morning. There's kind of there's um there's a two part sermon effectively um, the discipleship bit and then the pragmatic bit as we go into the end of this week. But what we're going to do this morning is look at the inspiration of John Wesley, who was a 16th century theologian, founded the Methodist Church, and um, was basically an all round ninja. Uh, and he um, he just articulated a vision for how Christians live within the context of generosity and finance that I think is really beautiful. And his Basically, his philosophy was, for a follower of Jesus, if you're serious about Jesus, uh, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That was his philosophy. He lived this deeply. And then I'm adding a, a fourth dynamic of celebrate well, which I'm going to unpack in a minute to add to Wesley's wisdom. So I want to, I want to work through these, uh, through these dynamics, and, uh, and let's see if we can just continue to walk into places of grace and freedom. Amen? Here we go. So let's earn all you can. Here we go. John Wesley wrote that God has given each of us valuable skills and talents, and it's our duty to use these gifts to their fullest potential. We must work as hard as we can to create success for ourselves and for our businesses. Entrepreneurs right now are just like, yeah, preacher Wesley, I love it. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And so John Wesley actually grew up in poverty. Um, his father was an Anglican priest in one of England's lowest paying, paying parishes. And his, he watched his dad get marched off to the debtor's prison because of uh, the fact he just couldn't keep his, his, um, his head above the water in terms of how, you know, again, he got into debt. So then um, John is like, man, I, you know, back in the day, like being a priest was kind of like a glamour, like a, had a lot of kudos in society. Those days are gone, right? I'm like, the, I'm equivalent to a used car salesman or a politician, you know? It's like I'm down there when it comes to uh, my job. It's awkward turtle on every plane ride. I just normally put my headphones on and try and avoid that discussion. Like, what do you do, bro? Um, and even, and then, and also partly I don't look like a, a priest, which I kind of like as well. I like spinning people out about that. Uh, anyway, whatever, that's my things. Um, so John, uh, John Wesley's like, flag that. So he's like, he goes to Oxford instead 
um, and it becomes he's a very smart guy, becomes a teacher at the Oxford University. And he started off on a salary of 30 pounds a year. Now, it's hard for us to work out. That, that back then is more than enough for a single man to live on and live well, okay? So he's doing all right. Uh, and then, like, his, his um, money keeps, he gets get paid more and more for 60 pounds, 90 pounds, 120, eventually to over 1,000 pounds a year. Um, and rather than believing, like some people did at the time, that money was kind of just evil, avoided at all costs, Wesley thought of all the good that one could do with money. More, more money meant more good. That's good. That's helpful theology. You know? John Wesley knew how to earn money, and he did it well. Um, but his whole thing was like a balance must be struck between causing no harm to our fellow man while gaining the most resources that we can. That's key. You don't harm someone in the creation of your, uh, of your resources. And so I like that. Um, now, I'm not an entrepreneur or a great business person, hashtag pastor from my life, okay? I'm grateful for Steve Bradley, who's had a history of just brilliant economic stuff and, you know, Big Dog and Hewlett Packard back in the day, international man of mystery and all that. So, you know, we need him in our, we need him in our team because that's not, so he's brilliant with the finances and all that sort of stuff. But, but in a sense this morning, I want to release you, entrepreneurs and businessmen and women, to, to, to go for it. There's a lot of theology that undergirds this whole thing, this whole concept of like, yes, there's literally a gift on some of you. Like it's a grace that's on you to make money. Be free in Jesus' name, do that, right? But pay attention to the rest of the sermon. <laughs> so earn all you can. Secondly, save all you can. John Wesley then <laughs> wrote of the importance of living frugally. He says, we must not squander away these hard-earned resources by trying to keep up with the Joneses. Wesley himself lived a very humble life, never raising his budget throughout his entire uh, ministry life. And this is interesting. Wesley pointed out that when people begin to spend money on things they do not really need, they begin to want more things they do not really need. Stating, who would depend anything in gratifying these desires if he considered that to gratify them is to increase them. Nothing can be more certain of this. Daily experience shows that the more they are indulged, they increase the more. It's like uh, uh, the Turkish delight in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, you know? It just leaves Edmund longing for more. I've got to have some more. And so, uh, so he was like, well, we need to save as much as we can. Uh, and this is where I think for us in the West, this is a challenge. Because again, we have between four and 10,000 advertisements that you're going to see today. And what's that doing? Breeding dissatisfaction in you saying, if you have this, you'll be happy. Right? I mean, that's, I don't think we can overstate the impact that that has on us. So it's very tricky for us to go, Oh, yeah, no, I know what it looks like to live simply. But the invitation of John Wesley as he looks at the life of Jesus to live simply is not uh, to ruin our fun. It's because living simply uh, makes life far more enjoyable in lots of ways. For example, when you choose to live simply, and I'm going to talk, this is why celebrate well is an important point at the end here. But when we choose to live simply, when we do have moments of celebration, they're special. Instead of, instead of like treats just being part of what we do every day, they just cease to be treats, right? It just becomes so, uh, and we're going to dive into this on the whole 
celebrate well thing, but it's like I, I think there's this lovely rhythm with, that you see within the Israelite culture and within the life of Jesus of restraint and saying no and living very simply and then partying real well. And the, all of that, again, life has got more colour when you follow the way of Jesus, right? So certainly that's the first. The second reason it's helpful to choose to live simply is because then you actually can learn the art of being content, Philippians 4, which we know well, but it's a very important scripture for Western Christians, is this. Paul's saying this, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in all circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation where well, well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The interesting thing, that last verse there, we've heard a whole lot when people go into the boxing ring. You know, all sporting thing. I could do all things. I can take that hill. I can kill that. You know, go on the ring or whatever, you know, punch him up, whatever. And it's like that. I can do every, or I can do all things through him who gives me strength. As in the context of being content. That's. It's like it's not easy to be content. Paul knew that, and it's no different today. It's just we live in this crazy world trying to uh, trying to feed discontent into your bones, and yet through him we can do it. We can do all things through him who gives us strength, including to be deeply content. So like, you know, I know what it's like to, <laughs> to, to compare my life to someone else's. That's got, that can go on better holidays, drives a nicer car, can, you know. Like me and Jim were joking with someone we know, close friend of ours that isn't in the Bay, because this is awkward when you start giving illustrations like this, um, could just make a decision to buy uh, a car and um, without too much thinking about it. And we were laughing yesterday. We're like, I run, I run, a, I run a burger past her financially. I'm like, Jen, are you cool if I just, you know, it happens fairly frequently. You know, are you cool if we just, I'm like, you know, the, the thought of just being, it's just, I don't get it. But we compare ourselves all the time. And, and the Lord wants to bring us to this place where we're deeply content. And this is why I, I've talked about this a lot. But practicing gratitude is a very powerful and important discipline for the Christian these days. Because we have to have a counterformation out of the discontent to a deep gratitude for all the many blessings in our lives. And so as I've been leaning that, I've been doing that partly because of a you know, history of depression in our family and that sort of thing. But it's like, as I'm doing that, it's, I'm, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm practicing gratitude so that my brain gets used to looking around going, oh, I can't believe I get to hang out with that person. Oh, the grass is looking good today. Oh, the, oh that beer tastes amazing after I've done the lawns and it's finally Sabbath and all the the rest of it. I mean, just to be deeply grateful for his abundant blessings in my life. And so, uh, so again, living simply is actually the way of Jesus, friends. And we need to shake out of this, this kind of consumeristic, materialistic, advertisement-swimming world that we're in to go, no, it's time we actually live to the beat of a different drum and live deeply content and to have a simple life so that we can save. And, uh, and we do that so that other people can be better off. So we can live a life of blessing for others. Jesus had everything, according to Philippians 2, and gave it all away for us. This is the way of Jesus. And so to save, so earn as much as you can, save as much as you can. Well, to do that, you need to be disciplined, right? You need to have self-control. Uh, you need to have a plan. God is not glorified in chaos. 
right? And, and like me and Jen have had to work on this a lot where it's like what comes in goes out because it's kind of been <laughs> our salary and all the rest of the time. No, this is a mature. No, we've got to get budgety here and work out how we can save some stuff for our children and for, uh, and for holidays and for treats and all that sort of stuff. We've got to work out how we can save so that we can give to things like building. Chaos does not glorify God. Uh, sitting down and working out your budget is a key element of biblical stewardship. Uh, and that's why we, from time to time we run uh, budgeting courses and all the rest of it. Now, I'm well aware that for some of you, even talking about saving is just tough because, um, you know, we've worked with people in our church pastorally who, um, who have a phenomenal budget and yet they're sailing close to the wind. And again, it's just like life's been tough. There's, you know, all sorts of reasons for that. And we get alongside folks like that. So again, I don't say that to put any pressure on anyone um, if, that, if that's you where you're like, it is really tough for me because of, you know, there's a just like, it's not a negligence thing or a stewardship thing. It's a circumstance thing. Then grace and peace. And, and if you do get tricky, please talk to us as a church. It's our joy to help people get through tricky patches. And we do that all the time. And that's why people give so that we can support one another. Amen. So earn all you can, save all you can so that you can give all you can. After working hard and earning success in business and living frugally, there will be plenty of resources left over, right? There'll be time and money and so on to give as a blessing to others. Wesley wrote that these resources are to be used to help our fellow man, that it's our duty to improve the world and to leave it better than we found it. There was this event in Wesley's life that really impacted him in terms of the need to be radically generous in our lives. He had purchased some art for his room, and um, and he you know he hung out they were great they weren't cheap but he had some money at the at the time and on this cold winter's day he noticed that one of the servants um, had very little clothes on on a very cold day and he felt moved by this he reached into his pocket to give the servant some money and found that he didn't have much left because of he'd spent it on the art and immediately the thought struck him that the Lord was not pleased with the way that he'd been spending his money. And he wrote this, he asked himself, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast, thou hast, how they talk this back in the day, thou hast adorned thy walls with money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. This is him writing down, oh justice, oh mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? (laughs) Pretty convicted. Good on him, eh? Good on him. He felt it. And so from that day on, in 1731, Wesley determined to maintain his standing standard of living at the same level and give away everything above that threshold. At the time, with earnings of £30 and living expenses of £28, he gave away those £2. As his earnings went up to £60, he gave away £32, £120. He continues to live on £28. And he became known for his saying, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but a standard of giving. I've been sitting on that zinger. Guys, you've just heard that for the first time. I've had to sit with that for the last three or four days. Not cool. Grace and peace on all of us. Cost of living thing going on, whatever. So just, but, good challenge, eh? I'm not saying that to, Wesley said that. But I think we've got to reclaim what it looks like to live simply so that we can be radically generous. Earn all you can, save all you can by living simply so that you can give all you can. Then lastly, celebrate well. God's heart in the midst of this, see, because, you know, I engage with Wesley's stuff and there's a little of me that got a bit depressed. <sighs> it's a bit, you know, 
Okay. And, but biblically, it's important I want to add this bit, that God's heart for us is to have real times of celebration and even decadence. Jesus' first miracles at a wedding. He, he says that the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. Um, and interestingly, even when it comes to like the whole economic, economic system of the Israel people that you can read in the Old Testament, a large chunk of the original purpose of the tithe was to have a party every year. Who's heard that preach before? It wasn't like there's was a whole lot of stuff we're going to unpack around the Old Testament economic model that includes tithes and all the rest of it. But again, they're principles, not prescriptions that need to find bridging texts into the New Testament. And that's a whole other sermon, which I'd love to do sometime because I've got some convictions on some of that stuff. But regard, like, there's this whole beautiful rhythm within the Israelite culture of, like, again, living simply. And but like the festivals that they had three to four times a year were like not boring religious services with Anglican bishops droning on. You know, like they were parties. They, they listen to this, okay. Deuteronomy 16. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Listen to the command. Be joyful at your festival. Right? You, who? You, your sons and daughters, the servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fathers, everyone needs to be joyful. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose for you. The Lord will bless you in all your harvest and all your work and all your hands and your joy will be complete. It was like they held back. Can you imagine like 10% of your incomes held back to be blown on one week? I mean, there's this dynamic going on where it's like, P-A-R-T-Y, baby, because I got it, you know? Like, it's, it's this full noise celebration, and it was commanded by God. They, he wanted them to have these rhythms of beauty. And this is why Sabbath is so beautiful. Sabbath is meant to be this day of, of pleasure stacking and decadence and delight, and you get the takeaways, and you have the treats, and you crack open that lovely bottle of wine, all the rest of it. That, so this is, again, I think we've got to reclaim these biblical rhythms that add so much life to us. Because if your life is just full noise, I have whatever I want whenever I have it, it is so boring. But I tell you what, when your week has restraint in it, and you know, this is why a lot of the boys, and I mean, whatever, boys and girls, you know, the guys, all of us, there's this whole thing going on. It's so hard these days with pronouns. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole lot of us that are uh, slowly beginning to get into the practice of a weekly fast. That's now that's slow it's buzzing me out, but there's now like a tribe of people that fast often Wednesday, sometimes another day. And I love it because there's a sense, A, it's great to have a day that I think is a contending day. Christians aren't meant to be spectators. I mean to we're meant to be fighters, right? So it's like, and, and everyone gets to play. We're all the priesthood of all believers. So like, you know, I'm trying to get rid of nominal Christianity in this church and go, we're going hard. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to have a day. So I like that there's a whole tribe of people that's like, for this day, it's a day of real restraint. And we would say to the flesh, sit down. And I I feel this fight in my flesh, but it reminds me to contend in prayer for this region that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, right? But I love this whole rhythm, and I've been engaged with that for a while now, and I love this whole thing of like living simply, and then a day, I almost bottom out my fast day, you know, and it's just a hard day, and I don't like it. 
you know, let's not super spiritualize this thing. It's hard work. I feel hungry all day. I like my food. I drive past things. Even the smell's amazing. You know, all that sort of stuff going on. And I'm fighting and I'm praying and I'm contending and it's a visceral thing. And then it's like Thursday for me. Like I have Sabbath on Friday. Most people should have it Saturday or Sunday probably. But Friday's my day. So it's like Thursday. Yay, I get to enjoy some food again. Hallelujah. Love it. And then it's like, Sabbath's coming. Oh, Sabbath's coming. Thursday night, Sabbath starts. And it's like, you know, crack open a beer. And it's like, yeah. Boy, we hit Sabbath, and then it's like takeaways, and it's like pleasure stacking on the, you know, and it's like it's it's actually a treat. So you got Sabbath, and then you've meant to like have these four times a year. There's a why we have rhythms in our church now. We don't have a service on the middle weekend of any school holiday to rest and to celebrate and to slow down and to just take the pressure of volunteers and pack it in and out and all that sort of thing. But it's like, that's a time where I'm like, we just can have some extra treats. And then we've got a cultural rhythm here where, you know, it's all mental until Christmas Day. And then after that, the whole country's just like, oh, that's stuff that, we're not doing anything for 10 days at least, you know? And again, and if, if the followers of Jesus, that's meant to be an amazing 10 days. We have you've lived simply so that those 10 days are mental, and takeaways and fun and food and go somewhere and have fun and all the rest of it. Does this make sense? And so there's this lovely rhythm that I think that... And so when me and Jen got married, I mean, honestly, we're poor as church mice, you know, like, uh, and, um And I had this great mentor who drilled this into me, which surprised me because he was like, he lived, he lived super sacrificially as an urban missionary. And I was expecting, and I was like, we're just going, oh, mate, I can't do anything, you know, for a hundred. And he's like, he just started getting my grill. And it was like, mate, this is not on. God, you've you got to celebrate well, mate, you know, and gives me the whole spiel. And he's like, just see, you can borrow money from your mates so your parents think you're Nan and Phil, you know. And they, you know, it's like, and like, here's the, but here's the thing he said, you've got to celebrate hard out, but a celebration has to have a beginning point and an end point. And in between those points, you go bananas. You do all the things, you just, just as, as I go for it. Absolutely crazy. But it has an end point. And in our Western culture, we have no end point. And so we just get, we, we swim in Instagram and TV adverts and social media things. And we think that the, the lie is that life should be decadent the whole time. The way of Jesus is no, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can by living simply so that you can give as much as you can. And then there are moments of beautiful celebration where you've got the, the cash and the resources and the lifestyle to do that, which I think is so, so beautiful. So that's the discipleship side of, here's the invitation of God for us as a church to keep leaning in to uh, rhythms financially that see us live well. So that we just don't live for ourselves, we genuinely follow the cruciform way of Jesus so that our life's a blessing to, for others. The story does not end on Friday, it ends on Sunday. Hallelujah. New life bursts into our world when we choose to align ourselves the way of Jesus more and more. As we, as we come into land of, of a bit of a journey with this whole building thing, I do, now for those visiting tune out, I want to talk a little bit about that kingdom vision for finance uh, when it comes to this building. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 6 to 13. Now the context of this is that Paul uh, in the early church has challenged a number of times established churches to be generous. And the context here is in the establishment of new churches. And then these churches, most of the guys giving to this stuff, they wouldn't have seen these churches. But Paul was like, hey, you know, existing churches, we want you to give. And this is what he writes to the church in Corinth. Remember this, or to the church in Bay Vineyard. Remember this, a family, a farmer, sorry, who plants only a few seeds, We'll get a small crop, 
but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Church, when it comes to the building, you must each decide in your own heart what you're going to give. Here's the thing that, that most people say when it comes to raising capital for something like a building in a church. They say there's going to be people in your church, Sam, that no matter what you say, they're going to give. You need to get out there and fart and then say give, and they'll give. Like they, just, they are just so generous. They'll sense the Lord on that fart, and they'll be like, yeah, all right, and they'll talk to them, and it's like, let's go. There are people who it doesn't matter what you say won't give anything. I just pray that God will heal you of whatever it is got you in that space. That's not a place of freedom. It's not a place of life. This isn't free. The kingdom of God isn't free. It's always birthed out of sacrifice. So if you, even, I want to challenge you, if you're, this again, this is if you're in our church and you've been here for a while, if you're in our church and you don't give anything regularly, just in terms of general giving, you're saying it's okay for a whole bunch of other people to pay for the stuff for you. That's not cool. That's not cool. And I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to like make you feel stink on one level. I'm like, just give something, five bucks, one buck. Get some skin in the game around owning the kingdom of God and, and what we want to build here uh, and just... And, okay, thank you. Anyway, all the people that give, no matter what I say, clapping. And, and some of you guys, <laughs> maybe the last Sunday we see you. Uh, that's all right. But listen to this. Don't give reluctantly, listen, or in response to pressure. So literally my little rant that's there, if that felt like pressure, just ignore it. But if it felt like God just convicting you, then run with it like Wesley did when he saw his poor servant with nothing. Just let God change your heart. Don't, so don't do it because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This is, this is why we hoot and holler every time we take up our offering. It's because we're trying to break this whole thing of like giving is, a, is something we have to do. It's like, no, when you get free with your finances and get a kingdom vision, you are genuinely filled with joy that you get to invest into things of the eternal. Like, man, I don't regret for one second the cost financially for us over the years to do this gig. For not one second, it's been a joy. Has there been sacrifice? Has there been hard? Has there been tears? Has there been times where it's like, I don't know how this is going to work out? Yes. But oh my gosh, the adventure's been worth it and we have seen God's kingdom break in. I don't regret for a second giving to the building campaign when we had nothing to give back in Wellington. I don't regret giving back to our building campaign in Christchurch when we had children and young family and massive financial pressure. I'm grateful that our legacy will be they gave to the things of eternal. There's something that got formed in me and freed me and I'm all over it, right? So anyway, so God loves a cheerful giver. Just let him fill you with vision and therefore joy that you get to be a part of the story of God. And God will generously provide all you need. You can trust in him then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. He's the one. You know, there's that classic story, you know, of all these illustrations you would have heard Penny, probably Pentecostal pastors do. You know, it's like, I've used them before, tragically. But, you know, I'm eating McDonald's. Uh, you know, um, my, my boy's eating, you know, the chips at McDonald's. I say, can I have a chip? He says, no. And then I'm like, well, they're my chips, actually. I just I just gave them to you. So can I have, like, one chip? And he's okay, you reluctantly give. And I'm like, well, all the chips are mine anyway. You're just giving what's mine. You know, and that whole thing of God's given you all the stuff in your bank, all the resources, all the gifts that you've been given to make the finance, all the connections, all of that's a gift from God, Right? He's so good like that. He's the one that's provided it all. And in the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. 
And all the ways that really matter, you'll be enriched so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gift to the gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. I mean, that's a... That's an that's a amazing scripture to have right there in the thick of things. And it's, a, and it's every pastor's best friend in terms of a scripture when it comes to building stuff. Um, and man, we've just seen that in our church. You know, uh, about four years ago or so, we started Manawa Order, our community trust. We, that was the last time we passed a hat round for something uh, outside of our normal, just regular giving. And amazingly, in, in the church, the little church, $30,000 got given by folks in our church to kickstart Manawa Order Trust. Unreal, four years ago. Uh, fast forward to, to now, four years later, as of this week, we have $300,000 in the Manawa Order bank account. Right? I mean, yeah, it's incredible. But this, again, this is that whole thing that I'm trying to say. Like, there's a crop. This whole thing, like, there were $30,000 that got sown as a seed. And now, did God magically make $300,000 appear in our bank account? No. What happened with that $30,000? We could employ some on, do some Raising Hope stuff. Uh, you know, we're doing some stuff through, you know, what Cherie's doing and stuff. The cyclone hits. We've got a trust here. Other churches tip in. We put that into the Manu Water Trust. We can employ Miriam, who's doing an amazing job. She's on the phone to, you know, the labor and minister labor on the, of the housing thing and all the rest. I mean, just unreal. And then people start giving us money. We got 100K from the DIA last week. But none of that would have happened if people hadn't tipped in the 30K to get the thing going. Does that make sense? And it's exactly the same with this building thing. It's a seed. Because like, again, the vision isn't the building. The vision is what happens through a building over generations. It's like, it's like, it's the best investment. It's just crazy the returns in terms of the kingdom when people give to this sort of stuff. And so I know it's a mission, but here's the thing. It, there's something biblical about these moments for us. And this is, again, why it's important that we grasp this whole thing of, of discipleship. So here we go. Here's, as we come to land, and, and here's the, the, the reality is this, by this Friday, I want everyone in our church to have decided what they're going to give, to have jumped on our website and filled in the little thing, because we need to know. And it's a pledge. So it could be just like, it's for the next year. I, can, I reckon we can give about this much over the next year. You know, So some people might have cash, you can just drop into there, hallelujah, let it be, great, awesome. Other people are like, I'm going to change my lifestyle a bit so that I'm going to tip in this. And friends, I've been so moved by some of the stuff already in terms of people that have reasons to understandably go, it's going to be tough for me to contribute, who are giving just uh, movingly into this whole thing. But here's the lies the enemy's going to whisper in your ear about why it's tough to give at this moment. Firstly, you'll be like, man, I can be generous when I've got more money. <laughs> And I get that. There's never a perfect time for a building capital thing, right? I mean, literally, no. basically what needs to happen for the conditions to line up, for it, to, it means that there's no cost of living issues. No one's doing renovations on their house. No one's got a holiday planned. No one's got children that have just got braces. You know, I could just go on. No one's got a car that's got a few lights blinking in the dash. You know, all the, it's like if all those things somehow magically get worked out, and then we've so grasped John Wesley's vision that we've been living it for a couple of years, or well, maybe then, maybe then. But here's the thing. I just think we've, the, the, the journey of this building thing is just to be obedient, um, to set the course of your heart, 
to be generous in some way. And, and Jesus says in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with little can be also trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. There's just a thing of just stewardship here where it's like, me and Jenna, working, we're having the conversations. What does it look like for us to be part of this? And it's a joy for us to do so because we've accepted there'll never be a perfect time for us to be generous. And it means we're going to have to say no to some things, and that's okay for the sake of the kingdom. When was the last time we gave sacrificially? So that's the first thing, the lie is that I can be generous when I have my morning. Certainly, here's the second lie, it's only going to count if it's a certain amount. This is one I'm worried about in our church. I just think the lie of the enemy is like, mate, we can only chip in a hundred bucks. You know, I, I just that's not worth it. What is that going to do? But have you thought about the fact that if a hundred people say no to a hundred bucks, what that's meant for our church? That's ten thousand dollars we don't have to serve the poor, tip into the building. Like we have the the eye, the lie of the enemy is it only counts if it's a certain amount. But actually, Jesus again is very clear about this when he sees this woman with the copper coins. Luke twenty one. You, you've heard the story. I mean. He's like, he just, this widow put in more than all the others, according to Jesus, because all these other guys gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put all she had to live in. And so, um, and again, uh, Mark 9, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name will certainly not lose their reward. Like, friends, it's not about, um, about equal amounts, about equal sacrifice. It's about just being part of something here. And the... Uh, are varying degrees of the journey of generosity in this church. Some people are very free, some people are not. For the people that are, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, you've come to Bay Vineyard, it's just awesome. For those who are struggling with this whole thing, can I just encourage you to be obedient with where you're at? It's okay. Tip in 10 bucks. Tip in 10 cents. Be part of the story in some way. And, and, and by doing that little act of obedience, it means a lot to Jesus and it does something in your heart that sets you on the right trajectory for the rest of your life. The third lie is that um, either one of these two, I give so I can get more, which is a horrible distortion, health and wealth. I want to give so that God's pleased with me and will whatever. Uh, or I give and I'll be impoverished. And uh, well, both those are lies. Um, there's a, there is a sowing and reaping dynamic when it comes to finances, but I think often we want sweeping. So it's like I give, and then, oh, yay, it's all worked out really good. My experience has been it's sowing, reaping. It's just, there's a lag there, whatever, and so we're going to give some money, and then that money's not going to be in our bank account, and some things that we thought we'd plan to do aren't, we're probably going to have to wait for a while and the rest of it. But, but we've seen God's provision in amazing ways. And I tell you what, like, um, we, when we moved here to the bay, we uh, had a dream of having a caravan. Some of you guys have heard the story before, but forgive me. We were like, and we put a deposit down on a caravan because um, great uh, Grandma Hilda died. May she rest in peace and rise in glory, Nan. Um, and uh, and uh, and so we got we got a little inheritance, which we were surprised about and quite stoked about. And and it was like we can buy a caravan. It's amazing. So we put a deposit down, and it was very exciting. And then in between the deposit and uh, getting the caravan, God very very clearly called us to leave Christchurch to move up here to plant the church. And we're like, well, we need that money. <laughs> so we had to bail on the caravan. We lost the deposit. 
it's just money just flushed down the toilet. Um, but the rest of the money we used to live on when we moved up here and all the rest of it. And like, there was just a dream. It was like, we had to lay down that dream. You, like, sacrificial giving is sacrificial giving. It's not like, again, we, we kind of want our cross with the pillow, you know, where it's like, it's, it's still comfortable somehow. And it's ridiculous. It's like, no, it was a cross. It hurt. It sucked. It was not cool. Um, but, you know, fast forward like a couple of years. And because we'd earned so little and working for families hadn't paid us quite enough and all sorts of tax reasons, we just got this monster payout from the IRD. Hallelujah. Unbelievable. And it was enough to buy a caravan. Hey, right? And now I'm not saying that as some health and wealth thing, but I'm just saying this. He's a good father and I can trust him. And, and like there have been lots of times we've given out stuff and I haven't got the thing back or whatever, but I have just committed in my heart to trust in his nature. And so it's sacrificial, but whether it comes back in abundance or whether it doesn't, I love Him and I trust Him. I'm going to follow Him and I'm grateful for the abundant blessings of my life. Breath in these lungs, friends and food and a roof over my head. And He's just so good and kind. And I want to just reject that culture of consumerism and and the Turkish delight world we live in where it's never satisfied. Instead, I want to live a life of blessing that enriches others. The last thing I want to say on this is that the enemy wants to discourage us as a church and say, this is not achievable. And we just want to say, screw you, devil. <laughs> screw you, man. We say yes. And God, God's invited to say yes. And so we have seen that with Manawa Order. We have seen God provide for us abundantly uh, in, in the church. It's an incredible And so this is just once more an opportunity for us to be part of that story. This is so achievable for us as a community that we can... Now, again, the building in Tamatea, we're working on that. Whether it's that building or not, that's the catalyst for this offering. And whatever comes in, that offering is going to be used for whatever the building looks like with the whole process going on there. But don't give because of that building. Give because of obedience, because this is the time the Lord's called us just to sacrificially give and to play our part and all the rest of it. Here's the dream. In Moses' uh, era, they, they, this moment where they go to uh, raise money for uh, the tabernacle, for the temple uh, that they're going to be building. Um, and so again, that, this stuff just doesn't happen. People, Every building, whether it came to the temple, the tabernacle, or the little Anglican church you grew up in, or whatever it is, everyone sacrificed in some way for some place to be able to gather to worship, right? Every time. There's no... It doesn't drop out of the sky, these things, right? So they go to this like community, and uh, verse 4, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, willing, is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So they just begin to engage with this. And then it's like, God's on this. It's all happening. Like, I've been praying a lot this, over this whole thing. I'm like, God, I can preach, but I cannot open hearts and wallets. That's your job. Hallelujah. Let me just live in that peace. Because I can't, pro- I can't like, literally the Spirit of God needs to provoke a conversation between you and your partner or, or you and your parents or whoever, where you're like, you know, what is our part to play in this whole thing, right? I, I can't do that. That's the Lord that helps do that sort of thing. But it started happening for Moses. And here's every pastor's dream, but this is what Moses experienced. They start giving and giving and giving, and then it's like, it actually got a bit overwhelming about how much is coming in. And then verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 6, then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Oh, this is like my fantasy scripture. I'm like, oh, sweet mercy, Moses. That must have felt awesome. Oh, that was so good. Imagine. 
I don't know what's going to happen this week, guys. But in faith, we're going to celebrate next Sunday. Um, we've got a couple of announcements of, of some things that, um, that I think will encourage your heart um, that are separate to the building thing. But also, um, our Bay kids are going to lead us in worship for the first couple of songs. Um, we're going to have a little, little dance item like they do. Um, and, and I'm just going to preach on the joy of being part of this whole thing. We're going to talk about joy, and then we're going to rest well over the holidays, and then we're going to start the Philippians series as we start uh, next term. We're going to work our way through the book of Philippians, which I think is going to be a rich journey for us as a church. But this is there aren't lots of windows in our life where we get to be part of something like this, but this is one of them. And I'd love you to, to joyfully be part of what God's doing in our midst at this time. Amen. Uh, I, we opened, we're at the gate and they're, like, they're, they're struggling to get the door open. So just as they do that, um, before we disembark, um, Jesus says this, and I don't think we've talked about this enough in the church. Revelation 22 verse 12, look, Jesus says, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Like there is actually a biblical, very clear biblical picture of rewards in the age to come. And I just say that because I'm like, the, the enemy wants to make a lie that says this is the only experience we have. When actually there is an age to come where we are rewarded. Uh, sacrifices, you know, martyrs get rewarded. We cast our crowns, any successes, we just, give, we just lay before him as nothing, as worship to him. I mean, there's a reward. And this is why Jesus talks about giving to things that have an eternal value. And this is a moment where we get to give things uh, that have an eternal value. And so um, I just would invite you to play your part. Whether that's a small part, which is actually a big part in God's eyes, because it's a sm- it feels small, but it's a wrestle, but you are obedient. Then God just, just delights in that. Or whether there's something significant in the story that we're writing that you're to be a part of, whatever that looks like. And as we're praying before the service, I just felt so strongly this whole... Um, I've been feeling this a lot recently, but it's like there's, um, we, li- we swim in this very apathetic, complacent culture that just robs us of our passion. And I just really feel this whole thing in our church of like God wants to stir us up to be people. We're like on the road to a mass. Adam was praying this over us this morning. Did not our hearts burn within us as we encountered Jesus? And that we'll come out of an apathetic, consumeristic, self-centered culture and be people who are passionate, people who are alive, people who seek the face of God, people who have wind in their sails, people who have captured a vision for who Jesus is, and he is the pearl of great price. I would do anything to get hold of it. He's the treasure in the field. Everything is just garbage compared to the beauty of knowing him. Like We'll just actually get that fire in our bones for for what it means to be radical in the way of Jesus. Don't let this, this sludge of consumerism rob you of the life that Jesus wants wants you to have. Like, come on, church, let's shake ourselves out of it. Let's break the complacency. And this is a moment to, to seek God. Come to our prayer meeting. You know, I, the worship t- today just blew me away. Just the heart of hunger in this church. We've been praying for this on Sunday night. Stir it up, Lord. Passion for your name. I just, I, I honour you, church, for your hunger this morning. But let's be a hungry people for the things and purposes of God, for his presence and for his kingdom. And let's seek that stuff first above everything else and put all the other things in their proper place. Amen.